so awesome to be back here. Hallelujah. I've missed being here. I'm always so grateful when I get invited back to a place because it means I didn't do too bad a job of, you know, I probably didn't offend too many people. So I get a chance to try all over again, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it is so good to be here. I am just so blessed. Whenever I come here, I see what God is doing in every nation, right? So, uh, you know, the favor of the Lord is upon your congregation. When your landlord decides to make the venue bigger so you can touch more lives in the city. Amen. And we just give God glory for you. We celebrate with you guys. And it is just such an honor to be at. Wow, what an amazing place. And we just trust that the Lord will bless this landlord so that he can put in a bigger generator. So that next time the city power goes out, we won't have any of these disruptions. But I just want to honor Sam and the team. Guys, you did an awesome job, man. Man, I didn't want to stop, you know. Waymaker, promise keeper. I just wanted to keep going. Because that was just awesome. This, you know, that's often what it's like in a walk with God, right? Because um, the enemy will try all sorts of things to just get us a little off track. And sometimes it can be the slightest disruption that causes a great stress in our life. But it's God just helping us realize that, you know what? Ultimately, he's still in control. Amen. Amen. Recently, I, Pastor Andrew, uh, Pastor David and Caroline, a couple of us were down in Cape Town at our build conference, and we had the honor of witnessing something that is certainly one of my proudest moments in every nation. I'm sure you guys heard about it, but we appointed two people, two additional people to our regional apostolic leadership team, and they happened to be two women. Pastor Carol Gosman, amen, and Pastor Carol Kesey, and Carol, when you were just leading us in prayer this morning, it just reminded me why God has called you to lead us as part of that apostolic team. I, I just see God's hand upon you, I've seen it for many years, but I know God needs people with your spirit, your faith, with your gifts, leading us at that level within every nation, Southern Africa. And so friends, let's just give God a praise offering because He's doing a great work. Amen. Not just in your church, although a lot of it's coming from your church, but in the city and in this nation as well. And we're going to just trust God that He's going to continue to build His kingdom with men and women that have the faith, the giftings, and the callings to do what He's called them to do. Amen. So, folks, I've been tracking with you guys on this incredible series that's been started, the series on milk and honey. And I just love the fresh challenge that's been coming from this as we've been re-exploring some of these kingdom truths. Pastor Carol challenged us in the first week. And uh, she said these words. She said, anything of significance can only be won if we take them from giants. Do you remember that? Anything of significance can only... You know when you're listening to something, and I was listening to the podcast, and God went, boom. Listen to that again, Doreen. Have you ever had that? And I started reflecting, and I said, Father, wow. That is profound. Because think about it. If they weren't significant, the giants, would, if they weren't significant, the giants wouldn't be interested in them either, right? And so I started thinking, I started saying, God, so what are some of the giants in my life? What are some of those things, those significant things that you've called me, Dorian, that you've called me to champion and to steward and to take down? And he showed me a few. I'm going to share two of them with you this morning. The one I'm quite proud of, 
The other one, I'm not. And I'll say, well, please, can I only share the one? I really only want to share the one. But God wants me to share both. And so the one that I, I had, I, I feel your lament, sister, about those beautiful slides. I had some awesome slides, right? Anyway, we'll get through it without those slides. The first one is this. Think of a picture of Africa. We've all seen it. That picture of the whole world in darkness and all the bright lights in all those first world nations because they've got all that electricity and they don't, you know, they can waste it. They can just burn those lights brightly. And Africa, the continent, and there's a lot of darkness. And then you see a bit of light in Joburg and Lagos and Cape Town, etc. But for the rest, little splatterings. There's only 40% of the people in Africa that have access to electricity. Do you want to add the word reliable electricity to that statement? It's a lot less than 40%, right? God's given us a solution developed at the University of Witwatersrand which will allow us to put electricity into every one of those 600 million people's homes that have absolutely no access to electricity. Amen? Now, now that's a solution that only requires a billion dollars. That's all. And I mean it. It's only a billion dollars. But that's one of the giants that God has called me to tackle. And you know what, friends? We're going to get most of that billion dollars from secular institutions. And as we roll out electricity into this continent, guess what? We're going to partner with churches so that when we roll out physical light, we can roll out spiritual light at the same time. Amen? That's one of the giants I love speaking about. And then there's this other giant. I really didn't want to tell you guys about it, but I'm going to anyway. There's this other giant in my life, and it's not as spectacular as the one I just mentioned, but it's equally as important. And that's this giant in my life that causes and gets me, trips me up more often than I like. In fact, it probably trips me up daily. And that's this giant that causes me to have these outbursts of irrational anger for the smallest little thing. Now, I can control it when I'm around you guys. I look great when I'm around you guys, okay? But it's when that top doesn't come off the bottle and there's no one around and I get so angry because the top won't come off like I expect it to. And my family are there to witness me being very irrational in that moment. And that's a giant that I know God wants me to deal with. And it's one that I'm going to tackle because it's as important for me to get those character issues in my life resolved as it is for me to go after the billion dollars so we can disciple the nation of the continent of Africa. Amen. Now, 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 why do I share that? I don't share that because I want you guys to think hot, darn, wow, so vulnerable. I share that because what I'm going to be sharing today is in a similar category. It's something that I know to be true, but it's something that I'm still on a journey with with the Lord. And I believe God wants to encourage us because a lot of those giants and a lot of those things that we're going to be tackling together are not things that we're going to just simply get right because they're easy. They're things that we're going to need to work on and allow the Holy Spirit to keep working on us. Some of them until the day we die or we go to be with Jesus and to you until he returns. Last week, Pastor Carol, I think it was last week, Pastor Carol spoke about biblical roadmaps to unlocking the promises of God. And she says these amazing things. So I wrote this one down too. She said, God's love is unconditional. But his blessings are not. You remember that? And again I went, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for your unconditional love. Father, what have I learned 
about accessing your blessings. What have I learned about accessing this land of milk and honey, this promised land, this place of milk and honey that I can share with my friends this Sunday? And the one thing that I felt God saying to me is He said, Doran, I want you to share on the spirit of generosity. And when I thought about it, I thought, okay, Lord, that sounds kind of, you know, when you talk about generosity, we automatically think, well, that's just giving more. But I realized something, that the spirit of generosity is much more than just giving more in the moment. When we look at the life of Jesus, he lived in that space of generosity. His life was defined by the spirit of generosity. We see him walking about, we see him healing. We see him delivering. We see Him loving. We see Him re releasing. We see Him feeding 5,000 people just because He can. We see Him at a wedding, minding His own business and turning water into wine. We see Him showing mercy to a woman caught in adultery, the very act of adultery, when He had every right to stone her to death. But His life is marked with a spirit of generosity in every single thing He does. And then I looked at my life and I said, and I, and, I, and I couldn't help but notice that when I operated in that spirit of generosity, my relationships were healthier. Trust was forged. Negotiations became easier because outcomes were more favorable to both parties. When we started executing business deals, when I was operating in a spirit of generosity towards the other partners, the deals, the business, the execution went smoother. When I operate in a spirit of generosity towards my staff, guess what? They start performing better. And most importantly, friends, when I find myself operating in a spirit of generosity, I feel God's pleasure just shining down upon me. And so friends, today I want to take some time and just reflect on what it means to operate in a spirit of generosity. I had great slides up, but I'm not going to obviously talk about it, so we're going to refer to the scriptures. See, it's important to come with your Bibles, guys, because you never know. When City Power is going to say, aha, the scriptures aren't up there for you to see. So we're going to turn, if you've got your Bible, if you've got your iPhone, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4. If you can't look at them now, jot them down, go read them afterwards to make sure that I'm not lying, okay? Deuteronomy 8, 14 says, you may say to yourself, by my power and by my strength, I have produced this wealth. But remember this, he's warning He's warning the Israelites. He says, remember this. It is the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know this term wealth? Sometimes we feel awkward talking about it at church and probably for right reasons because, you know, there's so much greed and rubbish tied up with it. But when Jesus, when God speaks about wealth, he's not confused and he's not awkward. He says, I give you. I give you the ability to produce wealth. Why? Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 tells us why. So that there might be no poor. That there might be no lack amongst us. God's not confused. He's not awkward. Because He wants us all to prosper. He wants everybody in the community. Everybody in the congregation. Everybody in the city. He wants them all to prosper. He doesn't want to see any poor amongst them. And so I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're a student. You're kind of hustling to figure out how you're going to pay your fees this year. I don't know if you're kind of in a place where you've just started a new business and you're kind of saying, Lord, I need sales because I need to figure out how to sort out this cash flow. 
I don't know if you're a managing director of a large multinational. I don't know where you find yourself today. But the principle is identical for every single one of you. That it is God that gives us the ability to produce wealth. And it is God that wants us to use that wealth to first and foremost build His kingdom. I remember as a young student, if you're a student, I remember as a student, I started getting to grips with some of these principles. And I remember praying this prayer. I immediately got concerned. Lord, what if, what if wealth causes me to lose my love and affection for you? And I got feared. I got so afraid. I said, Lord, if that ever cools my affection for you, Lord, let me never taste wealth. It's a good prayer, right? Okay? It's a good prayer. But can I tell you what is even a better one that should be prayed straight afterwards? Is Lord, change my heart so that you can trust me with whatever you need to give me to build your kingdom. Amen? Pray that first one and mean it, but follow it up very quickly to say, God, work on me so that there are no restrictions in my life as to what you want to do. And so, friends, God wants to use every one of us to build this kingdom. And so the title of my sermon today is Unlocking a Lifestyle of Generosity. And if you're taking notes... There are four key kingdom principles that we're going to explore together today. And the first one is that if we want to operate in a spirit of generosity, we need to move from seeing generosity not as law, but as lifestyle. We need to see generosity not as law, but as lifestyle. Kingdom principle number two is we need to understand and recognize that generosity is central to our salvation. Do I have questions? Good. We're going to get there. Number three, we're going to see that what we do matters. The stuff we do, the work we do, actually matters in the kingdom. And number four, we're going to see how God uses generosity as a catalyst to transform lives, communities, and nations. Alright. Maybe you didn't get them all down. You're going to get a chance to get them all down in a moment. So kingdom principle number one. From law to lifestyle. Now friends, what we need to understand is that from the very, very beginning of time, God's plan and purpose was to create this earth, to put mankind on it, and to in partnership with mankind to use Adam and Eve, to use all of mankind to transform all of society and win the entire earth back to Him. Remember? The earth had fallen. Satan had fallen. He'd been cast out. The earth needed to be redeemed. God chose to use mankind to redeem the earth back to Himself. But that old plan got snookered. We now got snookered. God and Eden. Read in Genesis. Adam and Eve. They rebelled. They committed high treason. And there's separation. There's a separation in relationship between God and man. But God's job is not over. And He starts a process of restoring that partnering relationship between himself and man so that they can continue with the task of redeeming all of this earth back to God. And so what does he do? In order to do this, there is an entire Old Testament that happens before Jesus Christ gives his life in order for us to receive what he did on Calvary to be redeemed back into relationship with God, right? But there's this whole Old Testament that takes place. And in this Old Testament, what does God do? He captures in laws his heart of redemption. He captures in laws, he's saying, look, I want to show you my spirit of generosity. 
Now, you don't get it directly from me now because we're not in a relationship, but I'm going to make sure that we capture it in a whole lot of laws and regulations so that people do not forget what my heart is for the nations. And so that when you once again redeem back in relationship with me, we can move from those laws back into the lifestyle that I always intended us to operate in. Alright, let me give you a few examples. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. We see the law of generosity. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Malachi 3.10, a clear law, a clear law of generosity. Acts chapter 4 in the New Testament, what's happened to that law of generosity? It says this, for from time to time those who own land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it, was and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Can you see in Malachi there's a law of generosity? And that shifted in Acts where people go, we understand the law, but what we're now doing is we're going to sell all we have. We're going to lay the money at the apostles' feet so that everybody can celebrate and be part of what's happening. Can you see how there's been a transition? There's been a transition from a law to guys going, I'm so part of this thing. I'm so in line with what God's doing. I want to sell it all and I want to come and be part of laying it at the apostles' feet so that everybody can, 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 be benefit, can benefit from it. Another one. In Leviticus chapter 19, there's what we call the law of gleaning. Now what gleaning was in the Old Testament was this. It was when you planted a field, you had certain rules about how you could harvest that field. You could go through it only once. And you were not allowed to go right to the edges. Why? Because after you went through and harvested, the poor from anywhere could come and get access to that field and go and pick up the bits and pieces that you left behind and could go to the edges. Now guess what? Gleaning was harder than harvesting because, you know, someone had already gone and taken out all the good stuff. But yet it was a principle so that even if you were poor, you had a way through hard work to be able to get enough so that you could eat. So what does gleaning look like in the New Testament? In the New Testament, it's gone from a law of gleaning to a lifestyle of gleaning. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, it says this, And day by day, they would break bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, resulting in no lack amongst them. Can you see that term, no lack, from Deuteronomy? Can you see how the law of gleaning is now translated into a lifestyle of gleaning? Where whatever I have, it's ours. If you don't have a place to eat, come on, pull in. Join us. We're going to have dinner. It might not be much, but we're going to eat together so that all of us are going to have something. Can you see how God's moved from law to lifestyle? And friends, it's not just when it came to economics. The disciples, they're talking to Jesus. And bless their hearts, I think I would have done exactly the same. They go, Jesus, the Word of God tells us that we must forgive somebody seven times. Tell you what we're going to do because we have all this inspiration. How about seven times seven, Lord? And Jesus says, you're missing the point. It's not about a law. It's not about a quantum. But I'm going to make my point by giving you a quantum. Not seven times seven. Seventy times seven. Now, for the same one, exactly. Why? Because after you've reached 460 times of forgiving somebody for the same thing, guess what? There's probably a few more other things that they've done to you that you're going to need to start forgiving them from point one again all the way through. You see, it wasn't about a quantum. Jesus was saying to them, guys, it's not about an absolute amount. That was the law. 
we move into lifestyle, guys. There's a lifestyle of forgiveness. There's so many more, friends. There's, um, you know, with Jesus in the Old Testament, there was a hierarchy. There were those that kind of like, you know, the important ones and the less important ones. In the New Testament, Jesus says, no, there's no hierarchy. In the New Testament, it's just simply this. When you're dealing with others, consider them better than yourself. Well, what, do you, what do you mean? Well, better. Better. Right? So in other words, you here, everyone else is there. And if all of us treat each other like that, guess what? There's a lifestyle of generosity that starts taking place. Paul says, Paul says this, he says, If there's a weaker brother amongst you, even if they're wrong, don't eat the stuff sacrificed to idols, even though it's fine. Even though you, you know it's just good food that's going to go to waste. Don't do it. For the sake of the weaker brother. For the sake of the guy that doesn't quite have that revelation. Don't offend him. You see, in the lifestyle of generosity that's starting to happen, I was chatting to my daughter Alexandra, who's at Stellenbosch at the moment, and she was like, she was lamenting, she was like, Dad, because she's now starting to struggle. She's got her own budget, she's got to figure out how to make it all work, and she's kind of like, Dad, when there are people that are poor on the streets, should I be buying a cup of coffee from Seattle? Right? Now she's grappling with this, right? She's grappling with her budget, okay? And I loved the discussion, but she was getting irritated with me because I wasn't giving her a yes or no answer. She was like, Dad, why doesn't the Bible tell us whether I can go to Seattle and buy a cup of coffee? And it was an opportunity for us to talk about moving from a law of generosity to a lifestyle of generosity. You see, God doesn't mind if you go buy a cup of coffee from Seattle. Are you operating in a lifestyle of generosity though? Because this is what I realized. Instead of asking God, God, how much must I do? The lifestyle of generosity simply says this, Lord, what next must I do? Because I never, I, I don't do my budget once, there we go, time taken care of, thank you, done, sorted out, off we go. No, it's constantly, Lord, you're constantly giving me all this stuff to steward, what next do I do with it, Lord? And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about a lifestyle of generosity. A number of years ago, God said to me, I was praying, I was in a service a bit like this one, I was praying and God said to me, He said, Dorian, can you trust me to obliterate poverty in South Africa? I said, I'm sorry, Lord. <laughs> That's just too big. And he said, okay, all right, I said, okay, how about Joburg? I said, Lord, I'm sorry, that's just still... So he said, okay, Dorian, how about every nation, Johannesburg? So I said, okay, Lord, I think... I think I can start getting my head around every nation Johannesburg. But guys, that was about 15 years ago. And it's been a journey that I've been on, and we've been exploring different things, but we're constantly saying, God, what next can we do? We started Every Nation Biz. We've done the Leaders in Transformation, Establishing Biblical Principles with Kudani, with Sam, where we, we're putting together a fund where we want to kind of help young, the City Bank Kingdom Fund, so we can help young dis entrepreneurs that are wanting to establish kingdom businesses. And so we're kind of developing this, developing this, because ultimately we say, God, give us that promise that there'll be no poor amongst us. And we'll start with Every Nation Ramsar. We'll start with Every Nation Johannesburg, and we'll move into Joburg, South Africa, Africa, and the world thereafter. Amen? But I realized, it's too big for me on my own. It's too big for us. But with a spirit of generosity, if we're constantly asking God, what next? We can do this step by step and bite by bite. Kingdom principle number two. Generosity is central to our salvation. Now, 
I don't know about you, but normally when somebody is close to passing away, maybe they're dealing with something, their last days, they often say the most critical things that they want people to remember. And so I'm reading the passages of Scripture in Jesus' last days, and I'm reading them with this lens. And in Matthew chapter 25, he's talking to his disciples. And he's on this place called the Mount of Olives. And I don't know how many of you have been into, into Jerusalem, but the Mount of Olives is this, is this mountain right outside Jerusalem. And from it you can see, look down at Jerusalem, and you can see uh, where the temple would have been. Uh, Jesus may even have been able to look across the temple and see Golgotha, the place of Calvary where in a few days' time he would be crucified. And in this moment, he's speaking to his disciples and he starts telling them a parable. And this is the parable of the sheep and the goats. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, if you want to follow with me. And he says this, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, I should have thought about this more carefully before I started this industry. He'll put the sheep on his right, okay? And he'll put the goats on his left. And then he says this. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For, look at what the criteria was to take the inheritance. For I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I just love what Pastor David and Pastor Caroline are doing and what they've brought into, our, into us, into our family. When God brought you guys here, what, 15, 20, how long ago? 21 years ago. We need more David and Caroline's in here. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did you see, sorry, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Friends, can you see the spirit of generosity in there? We don't have time now, but I mean, he goes on and he tells the guys and the goats pretty much effectively exactly the opposite. Didn't, didn't give me water when I was thirsty, didn't feed me, didn't clothe me, didn't visit me, didn't look after me. But Lord, we never saw you. If we'd seen you, we certainly would have done that, Lord. What you didn't do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. Friends, the difference between those on the right and those on the left. That whole parable. It's not about one group calling him Lord and another one not. Verbally at least. But it was one group that served him as Lord so much so that their entire lives were transformed. That they would operate in a spirit of generosity towards one another. And another group who maybe thought they had. But were not allowing him to transform their lives to the place where they would be prepared to operate in a spirit of generosity. And so again... As, I'm a poet, as, I, as I tend to do when I get challenged by these things, I started asking myself, I said, Lord, what does a sheep or kingdom business look like as opposed to a goat business 
Okay. I don't mean where you sell sheep or sell goats. You guys get what I'm saying, right? What does a sheep or kingdom family look like as opposed to a goat family? What does a kingdom or what does a kingdom community look like as opposed to a goat community? Bless you. What what does a kingdom church look like? As opposed to God help us a goat church. Right? Yeah, God help us. And so I began to take stock of those things in my life, those things I'm building, those things I'm investing my time and my assets and my resources in. And I started assessing them and I started wondering, I said, Lord, how many of those things I'm putting my time into have sheep qualities? And how many of them have coat qualities? And I said, Lord, my business that I've been running for 22 years, that I'm, you know, the managing director of, is this really a sheep business, Father? Or is this a goat business dressed up in a bit of sheep's clothing from time to time? Does it have glimpses of the kingdom here and there when we do cut some cool stuff? Or is it completely sold out to you regardless of what you're calling us to do? Because God, I want it to be. Lord, I want it to be a kingdom business. I want it to be a sheep business. But what needs to change? When you ask God those things, He normally speaks up. And so I realized a few things needed to change. One of the things that needed to change was shareholding. I looked at my business and there's some people that have been walking with me and working with me for 15 years. But we're still only employees. So God said, you need to put aside 35% of the equity in your business for those that are brought in and truly are your partners except they don't yet own a stake in your business. God started talking about value sharing. He said, let's talk about the value and the profits each year. Let's talk about what the first part of those profits are going to be set aside for. And the non-owner part of the team, are they sharing in the upside as to what you're creating here together? The one I really struggled with, guys, and being honest with you, is control. Control needed to change. Because guess what? God gave me this business 22 years ago. And I know what He wants me to do with it. But now God's bringing others that are playing more senior roles in this business and they're partnering with me on it. And guess what? They don't think the way I do on all things. And I need to be okay with that and I need to let go. And you say, what do you guys think we should be doing? And do it in a way that doesn't just abdicate responsibility. Go, oh, well, okay. You guys decide. No, but do it in a way that stays engaged. Because I know God's called me to stay part of their lives. And to mentor, and to coach, and to challenge, and to play a role there. So it's not about just handing it over now, it's all yours. There's a process where we're walking and working together. Friend, Jesus makes it abundantly clear in this parable. That the fundamental difference between the sheep and the goats is a spirit of generosity. It was not that the ones were called. He had called them all. But only one group chose to operate fully and commit themselves fully and operate in the spirit of generosity. When Jesus blessed Peter and John, remember the story, he preaches in their boat, they've caught nothing all night, he says, listen guys, just press out and push out a bit more. Guess what? The boat is so full of fish that they cannot handle it themselves. They had to call their partners, right? That's what happens when we start operating in a spirit of generosity. Because they would have lost it all if they hadn't called their partners to help them. There's always enough to go around when we operate in the spirit of generosity. Friends, every time I tackle a new wealth creation opportunity now, the first thing I ask is this. I say, God, who are you partnering me with 
Who are the people that you want to bring alongside me in this opportunity to carry the load and share in the blessing that we know will result? Kingdom principle number three. What we do matters. Now, in evangelical circles, of which we are a prime example in every nation, we often get really concerned when people start talking about work. Right? Because, because it's not about work. It's not about work, right? It's, well, guess what? There's certain things that are absolutely not about work, but there's certain things in God's kingdom that are, yes, all about work. Right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul explains why works actually matter. He says this, he says, For no one can lay a foundation, that's verse 11, other than the one already laid by Jesus Christ. That part works free, okay? That foundation laid by Jesus works free. That foundation laid by Jesus, enthused with the spirit of generosity, there's nothing we can do about that. That's where salvation is a free gift which we engage by faith. But verse 12 carries on then and says this, If anyone builds on that foundation using gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their works will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Guys, it's in the Bible. Right? If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved. Alright, so if we're on the foundation of Jesus, guess what? You're in heaven. Okay, tick. Done. Alright? Now we decide, what do we want to look like in this place called heaven? Because we can build on it using gold, silver, and precious stones. Or we can build on it using wood, straw, and all that other stuff that just goes in the fire. And so friends, what we see here is that we decide in what way we want to build. We can either build eternally. Thanks, bro. We can either build with eternal, eternity in mind, or we can build temporally. We can build stuff that's going to be super cool whilst we're on earth, but gone. Or you can build with stuff that's going to be super cool now, and guess what? Super cool in eternity. Alright? So what are those things that are eternal? What are those things that are eternal? Well, the Bible gives us something. Let me give you a few of them. Those things that are eternal, those things that pass through, those things that can transcend into eternity are people. Guess what? We can take people along with us. The Word of God's full of that. We can take our skills, our talents, our gifts, and our abilities with us, according to Matthew chapter 25, where he gives somebody two talents and they turn it into four, and he says, rule, four cities, and five talents into ten, and he says, rule, ten cities. So hold on, it seems like there's something about developing those skills, talents, gifts, and abilities that are eternal. So maybe we should be focusing on some of that stuff. The gifts of the Spirit are eternal. Galatians chapter 5. Working on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Because guess what, friends? In eternity, things are going to be awesome. They're going to be perfect. But God wants us to pursue some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So that we know how to govern it properly when we get there. Yeah. And of course, acts of kindness and generosity. Like power of the sheep and the goats. That stuff's eternal. That stuff passes with us into eternity. So what about 
about money? Is this eternal? Of course it isn't eternal, right? I mean, that's a tough question, right? We all knew the answer to that. But here's the beauty of this stuff. That's not eternal. This stuff will definitely get consumed. If I die with a hole of this in my pocket, it stays. It gets burnt up. But here's the beauty. Here's the kingdom principle. God gives us 70 years to take this stuff and to transfer something that's temporal into something that's eternal. Right? So God says, here we go. It's not yours because you can't take it with you. But guess what? For 70 years, I allow you to steward this stuff and make decisions with it. And for 70 years, you figure out exactly where you want to put this, how you want to invest it, whose lives you want to change with it, how you want to consume it. Because a lot of that stuff is going to be temporal, but a lot of that stuff you have the choice to make eternal. So what are you going to do with it? You know what these folks I asked my friend Chris if he had some monopoly money at home, and he, someone still has monopoly at home, and I was so grateful. Because this is the illustration God showed me. It's like, you know, this is very valuable to you whilst the game is being played. Right? Once the game's done, so now God shows up and he plays Monopoly with us and he says, listen, you use that stuff to buy your properties, to buy your houses, to buy your hotels. When I visit you at those properties, I'm using this. So when the game's done, guess what? I can take this to Starbucks and buy my cup of coffee. Because it's worth something after the game's been played. And friends, in the same way God's saying to us, I've given you all this stuff, some more, some less, but I've given you guys all this stuff. I've somewhat, everybody's got something. Go and do stuff with it. Because when I come and visit you with that stuff, I'm coming along with gold, silver, and precious stones, which I'm going to buy from you. Guess what? That stuff is eternal. And that stuff's going to transcend. And that stuff's going to make a difference, not just now, but into eternity. I was at a men's conference recently. Am I going over time? I feel like I'm going over time. Okay, five minutes. I was at a men's conference recently, and the guys asked me this question. And they said, Dorian, give me an example of decisions you've made that has transferred temporal stuff into eternal stuff. And I was like, great question! And after I've tried the question three or four times, you ever wonder where you come kind of like, why did this sound better in my head than it does in my Have you ever been there? And I went away and I was like, kind of like, I did it so badly. And I thought, what was it about that? Why did that question, why did I just do a bad job? And God showed me. The reason I just did a bad job with that question is because I was looking for those one or two big things. That those kind of like those deal-breaker type options where I took a whole lot of temple stuff, turned it a whole lot of kingdom stuff, and boom, drop my moment. And God said to me, he said, when you operate in a spirit of generosity, very seldom are you going to get those once-off, twice-off big things. But you're going to get hundreds of thousands of small opportunities every single day to decide whether you want to build eternally or whether you want to build temporarily. Let me give an example of something. And I wish God had given me this in that moment because I would have felt a whole lot better about myself. But God knew that I needed to think about it so I could give you the right answer. <laughs> You're sitting down and it's time to buy a new motor vehicle. You can afford X 
But you sit down with your spouse and you decide we're going to spend 50,000, 100,000, 200,000 Rand less than X. Because that car is perfectly good to drive. And we would like a little extra headroom in our budget so that when God asks us to do something, we can. That's what a decision looks like to go take something that's temporal and make it eternal. Right? Here's another one we've had to face recently. You have a domestic worker who works for you. And she has kids. And guess what? They probably don't see as much of their mother as they could because she spends five days or six days with you. How about this? We're going to pay you for five. But we only want you to come in and work for four. Because we'd like you to take one day a week and go and spend it with your children. So that they don't feel like their mom has just abandoned them and sends them money and some cool stuff every now and then. But mom has had an opportunity to build with us. Dad has had an opportunity to build with us. And be a mom and be a dad. And break the spirit of fatherlessness and motherlessness that exists in our nation. Friends, can you see? Yeah, so like my daughter was saying, but dad, what's the answer? I don't know what the answer is, but when I operate in the spirit of generosity, I keep saying, God, what next? Together we can figure out what the next answer really is. Last one, and I'm going to be quick here. The spirit of generosity, key principle number four. Generosity is a catalyst that transforms lives, families, communities, and nations. In Luke chapter 19, we see an incredible story, one of my favorite stories, about Jesus led with a spirit of generosity. He's going to Jericho. In Jericho, there's this dude. His name's Zacchaeus. He's incredibly wealthy. He is incredibly wealthy because he is greedy, he is selfish, he is stolen from people. He is not well liked in the community. He is a pariah. But he tells himself it doesn't matter. Because I don't need people to love me. Because if I want anything, I just buy it. No matter what it is, I can afford it. Jesus decides to come to town one day. The only problem with Zacchaeus is Jesus is not selling tickets to the event. So he can't buy himself there. But he says, okay, I'm going to try and get close anyway. So he tries to get close, but Zacchaeus is a little guy. Shorter than even me, okay? And he can't see past the guys in front of him. And when he tries to get through, they're not very nice to him because, hey, dude, you stole from me last week, remember? And so he's not loved. And so Zacchaeus does something that no well-respected rich person would do. He climbs a tree to try and get a picture, to try and get a, and just view Jesus when he comes past. He wanted to get a selfie on him. So he, he climbs a tree. People probably were, Zacchaeus, they're probably mocking him. They are probably like, dude, what are you doing up in the tree? You know, kind of like, not what you used to. You know, where's your, you know, where, where, where the slaves were the fans? They were, who knows what was happening? Jesus decides to walk right past the tree. He stops, he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Because you and I are going to hang out this afternoon. Community, you're not pleased. Whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. Do you know who this guy is? I don't know, he looks funny up in the tree, but do you have any idea who this guy is? But Jesus chose to operate in a spirit of generosity in that moment. To give somebody who did not deserve it his full attention. I often think about it. I think about it anyway. If I was planning 
if I was planning that event, if I was an event planner, and you know, Jesus asked me to plan it, this probably looks something like this. Jesus, what are we going to do? We're going to start you off on the steps of the synagogue. You could preach one of those powerful sermons. You know the ones that Carol normally preaches? One of those, okay? Preach one of those powerful sermons. Then Jesus, we're going to take you down the main street. We put a few paraplegics along the way. We've got a few blind people. A couple of guys that need to be, you know, demon-possessed. You could just kind of do your thing, you know, as you're kind of leaving town. And then the finale, Lord. The finale, you're going to love this. Just outside the city, there's this beautiful spot overlooking the Jordan Valley and the Dead Sea. We've provided five loaves and two fishes. We know. You can do the rest. Jesus, believe us. Next time you come to Jericho, it is going to be lit. People are going to know who you are. It's going to be sorted. Right? That's how I would have planned Jesus' itinerary. And it would have been a cool day, right? But Jesus knew that what Jericho did when he left that day was not a great memory of how Jesus touched a few people. But how they needed a Zacchaeus whose life was transformed. They, Jesus knew that Jericho needed Zacchaeus' life to be completely transformed, operating in a spirit of generosity. That's what happened, friends. Jesus spends a few hours with Zacchaeus. We don't know what was said. We don't know what happened. What we do know is Jesus comes out of that house and he says, Today salvation has come to this place. Why? Because Zacchaeus says these, these words. He says, Half of everything I have, I give to the poor. And the other half, by the way, I know I've stolen from a lot of you. I'm sorry. But I'm going to pay you back four times. Guys, I, I wonder if a few of us started operating in that kind of a spirit. Whether people would be more happy to hear what we've got to say. Jesus knew that what Jericho needed was a Zacchaeus. whose life was transformed. We would be operating in the spirit of generosity. Friends. We look at our country today, we look at our city, and it irritates us to see the state of affairs, right? And we know what needs to be done. Normally something along these lines. What needs to happen to break corruption? What needs to happen to solve unemployment? What needs to happen to fix the electricity problem is government should. Parliament must. The municipality, they've got to get this right. Friends, what I want to challenge us with this morning is maybe Jesus is saying something different to us if we're operating with a spirit of generosity. Maybe Jesus is saying something along these lines. Dorian, what can you do? How can you make a difference in these areas? Chris, what can you do? Sam, what can you do? Carol, what can you do? Andrew. Friends, I believe in the spirit of generosity. It starts by saying, Lord, we know it's a mess. Father, what can we do? Give us eyes to see, Lord. And let us start with that which is in our hands so that we can see how we can use it as a catalyst to change lives, families, communities, and nations. Amen. Amen. Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, we know we're just scratching the surface, Lord. And we know that we've got so much deeper to go. But Lord, our heart is to go deeper with you. Father, our heart is to see every person in our community in this place of milk and honey. Every person in our community, every person in our church, any person in our, in our, in our family operate from this place of milk and honey. 
Father, we know that in order to get there, we need to see how to walk daily with a spirit of generosity, the way you did, Lord. So friends, if you're here this morning, and what I've said has challenged you in any way, if you're here and you say, God, I want to see generosity not as law, but I want to start seeing it as lifestyle, then I want you just to stand to your feet as I am. And just say, Father, take me deeper. Let me not be asking, Lord, how much, but let me be asking, Lord, what next? And so, Lord, as we stand before you this morning, we just say, Lord Jesus, we want to commit our hearts, our lives, our finances, our time, our assets, everything you've entrusted and stewarded us with. We want to commit it to you, Father. Lord, move us from that place where we don't see this as a law, but we can walk in it as a lifestyle. Father, we want to hear those words. We want to have everything we tackle with sheep qualities, not goat qualities, Lord. We want to start building with gold, diamonds, precious stones and silver, Lord. We want to transfer that stuff which is temporal into that which is eternal. Because, Father, our heart, just like in Jericho, is, Lord, that when you're done with us, we will see lives, communities, and society transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning. Lord, I pray that every dream, Lord, that you would just allow that to germinate and to spring forth, Lord. Where hope has been lost, Father, I pray that that will just be reignited this morning. Lord, where there is breakthrough required, Lord, we pray that you'd bring breakthrough. And I pray, Lord, that you'd show us how to use that which is in our own hands. In Jesus' name.